This morning, we started a little two-part sermon mini-series entitled Hope Floats. And this morning, in the first installment of it, we talked about the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul and 275 others as recorded in Acts chapter 27. And in this morning's lesson, we discussed how those in charge of that particular voyage chose to disregard the words and the wisdom of the man of God and rely instead on their own human wisdom, their own human resources, their own human reasoning. And as always, as the man of God tried to warn them, it was going to end in disaster if they continued down that path. And indeed it did. We also talked this morning about how that killer storm just, just pummeled and punished them and ransacked them and, and smashed into them for days and days on end. And it was during that time that they learned very quickly that all human skill and wisdom and reasoning and tools and logic was a totally vain hope for salvation. Just as it always was and always will be. We saw how during that storm they took the cargo which represented their livelihood or their income and they just threw it overboard. It was a vain hope for salvation. It was hindering them, as it were. We saw how they threw out the ship's tackle and that represented their human ability to repair the ship in time of storm. And sometimes in the storms of our life we want to try to repair and fix the damage all by ourselves when we are up against just a battle we cannot win. Although it was never mentioned in the text in Acts 27, it is very likely, and again it's not said in the text, but it is quite likely, that just as the sailors in the storm of Jonah's day, in Jonah chapter 1, all prayed to the God of their choice when they thought that the storm was going to take their lives, Chances are that some of those sailors prayed to their God of choice as it was as well, but again, that was a vain and futile hope of salvation. And at last we saw how the whole crew in Acts 27, despite exhausting every effort and everything that they knew to do, but still being exceedingly tempest-tossed, finally gave up all hope of being saved. Acts 27, 18 through 20. It was then that the man of God amongst them reminded those who had rejected his word to that point that the God of all hope would still save them, but they had to do it his way. They had to trust him and obey him. And of course, as we talked about this morning, just as soon as God offered them that hope and it looked like they were going to be saved, there were some that wanted to revert right back to the little skiff and the little, the little boat and revert back to their own ways of trying to save themselves, just as so many seem to want to do today. We discussed in that sermon how a life lived without the hope of God and the God of hope. Or a life lived with a false hope. Putting your hope in human resources and human wisdom and human experience and pursuits and preparation. In the end, is going to end in disaster when the storm hits that you can't handle. It always ends that way. And then we talked about, by contrast, as we, as we progressed in that sermon, we talked about this incredible, wonderful, joyful life that we can live 
with this God-given hope, what Peter calls in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, this, this living hope that we have. And that word hope is defined in the Greek as a, as a certain, joyful, confident expectation that what this God who cannot lie promised, he is also able to perform. It is that which causes us to take heart and not fear, even in the worst storms of life. It is that which causes us to have joy and peace in believing so that we abound in hope no matter the severity of the storm. Romans 15, 13 and 4, 20 and 21. Brethren, I want us to grab a hold of that hope. I want us to understand tonight, I want us to understand today this hope we have in Christ. Hope is such a terribly misdefined word today because it's it, when we talk about hoping for something we're not talking like the world uses it today I hope it'll rain tonight or I hope but it's a certain joyful concrete expectation that God's going to do just what he said it is that hope which strengthens us it is that hope which secures us as our sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, no matter the length of the storm, the strength of the storm, or the power of the storm that we are in the midst of. Hebrews 6, 11 through 20. It is this certain, joyful, confident expectation that what this God promised, He is absolutely able to perform, just as, as Abraham knew, as we hear in Romans chapter 4. It is that which strengthens and sustains us, even as we look at the death of faithful loved ones. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, as we talked about this morning. As I concluded this morning's lesson, I said, that doesn't even detail so many of the Old Testament verses that undergird and reinforce this hope that we have. We who trust and obey God, and we're going to explore those further tonight, and, and we are. And I'm going to ask you, as we did this morning, to begin with me in the book of Job. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Job, please, in chapter 31, to begin tonight. I want to begin tonight, as I did this morning, not only by looking at Job, but looking at Job for the same idea. The hopelessness that can sometimes occur. Tonight I want to begin by looking at the devastation of choosing to live a life without possessing the hope of God because of choosing not to trust and obey the God of hope. We'll get to Job 31 in just a minute. In Job 11.20 it says, The eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape. And their hope? Loss of life. The wicked... Their hope in life is a hopelessness. In Job 27.8 it says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much if God takes away his life? And again, there is no hope for that person if they don't turn it around. It is a hopeless life for the wicked and the hypocrite. And in Job 31, beginning at verse 24, talks about some other ways that life is truly hopeless without God. He says, if I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much. If I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. 
This also would be an iniquity deserving of punishment, for I would have denied God who is above. He said, if I put my hope in my wealth, if I put my hope in the moving of the sun and the moon, astrology type stuff, and the stars, if I put my trust in that, if I put my hope in anything other than God, that's a sin against God, because only God can give me that hope that will sustain me through all things. And, you know, it's interesting as we, as we look through this to remember just who Job was. In Job 1.3, it mentions that his possessions were great. He was the greatest of all the peoples of the East. And yet, despite that, in Job 1 and verse 1, he was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Job did not let his wealth take his eyes off of God. He did not let the circumstances take his eyes off of God. His hope remained steady in God. And I want to share with you tonight... A few Old Testament promises from the God who cannot lie regarding those like Job who put their trust and hope fully in God and His Word. And I want you to take these verses home. I want you to, I want you to let them sink into your hearts and minds tonight. We have such an incredible God. Psalm 31, please turn there. We've seen of some of the hopelessness of trusting in other things from the book of Job. But in Psalm 31, we're going to begin to look at the positive side of that and the wonderful blessings of having a confident expectation that God will do what God said. Psalm 31, beginning at verse 23, says this. O love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. All of you who trust him, God's not going to let that trust go unrewarded. All of you who put your hope fully in God, God's not going to let somebody who puts their hope fully in Him not see that hope realized. He's going to strengthen their heart. He's going to preserve them. This morning we mentioned Psalm 33 and applied a lot of it. And I want to talk again tonight beginning from Psalm 33 and verse 16. It says there, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Just like those sailors. They were not delivered by all of their fellow sailors' skills. They were not delivered by this great ship. He, he goes on in verse 17 and says, A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. This ship that had carried all this cargo and seen storms before, it was no hope. For salvation. It was coming apart at the seams. It was being battered. God says those things are not a, a great hope. Don't put your hope in those. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who's, who hope in His mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Who? Those whose hope is in His mercy. Therefore, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. Just as we hope in you. Just as we have this certain, joyful, confident expectation, God, that you're going to do everything you said. We trust you. We believe you. We're going to live our lives even in the valley of the shadow of death, trusting your rod and your staff. And those are going to comfort us. And we're going to take you at your word, God, no matter what we see around us. We're going to walk by faith and not by sight. Because we are confident, just like Paul was on that sinking ship, that you're going to do exactly what you promised you would do. We have an awesome God. Psalm 39. This is where my hope lies. In the darkest of days. Is in God. Psalm 39, beginning at verse 4, says, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. You know, like I talked a few Sunday nights ago about Howard Hughes, we can amass millions, but when we're gone, we can't take them with us. And so the psalmist David here goes on to say, and now, Lord, what do I wait for? In other words, is that where my hope is? No, verse 7, my hope is in you, David says, because I realize the vanity of putting my hope in anything other than God. But you know, despite all of these wonderful verses about the blessings of God that we have and the hope that we have in Him, this confident expectation, this joyful, certain expectation that God will carry out His promises, you know, even despite all of them. Sometimes, the most faithful of God's people can still lose hope. How does that happen? It happens because they're human and they lose their focus on his promises because they begin to focus on their circumstances and surroundings instead of him and his promises. Even the most faithful can at times lose hope. Has there ever been a time in your life when your hope has been less perhaps? Surely for most of us there have. If you've ever struggled with that, or you've ever lost hope, go home later tonight and read Psalm 42 and 3. I don't have time in the lesson tonight, but Psalm 42 and 3 address that very thing. God's Word, though, is where we find the means to refocus ourselves on the incredible rock-solid hope, the certain, assured, promised hope that we as children of the living God of hope have. As Psalm 119 so aptly and repeatedly reminds us, it is God's word upon which we have cause to hope. Verse 49. I'm just going to read some particular verses. Psalm 119, all of them. Verse 49. Verse 81 says, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. What is the psalmist saying there? What is David saying there when he says in verse 81, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. He said, Lord, I, I, I want to realize, I want to possess, I want, to, I, I want that salvation. I want, to, I want to see it full blown and realized. I, I want that salvation. But I hope in your word. What's he saying? I want to possess it. 
But I trust in your promises in your word that one day I will. You see, I don't possess it now, but I have those promises. My hope is in your word. That's where I place my hope. Even though I want to be with you now, sounds like Paul in Philippians 1, right? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Even though I want to possess that salvation now, I hope in your word because I know that you promised it and it's there for me. And so I'll just hope on your word. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Verse 116, uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Verse 147, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. And I know some of you get up before the sun is up. And I know you study. And I know you read God's word. And that's exactly what David is talking about in Psalm 119 verse 147. I put my confidence and trust there. That's where I start the day. Verse 166 says, Lord, I hope for your salvation and I do your commandments. That to me is very reminiscent of 1 John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In fact, keep your finger here in Psalms, but go over there for just a minute. 1 John 3. I've debated as to whether to jump out of Psalms here for a minute, but this is worth jumping out for a minute. When David says in Psalm 119, 166, I hope for your salvation and I do your commandments, what he's saying is, because I look forward to this salvation that you have promised. That's why I, I obey you here on earth. John says something similar in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. There's a lot of sermons right in that sentence, isn't there? Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are, doesn't say we will be, says we are, we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, David... He's saying the same thing that John did. Because we have this promise from God and we, we know that it's going to happen, therefore we live a godly life here on earth. We don't want to jeopardize what God has promised us. God has given us this certain assurance, this absolute assurance of what we have waiting. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 John 3. Therefore everyone who has this hope, this confident expectation of being there with him like that, does God's commandments, purifies himself, as it were. I tell you what, God has promised us so many awesome things, I don't want to throw it away for anything. Finally, back in Psalms, let's read one more. Psalm 130. Look at our hope one more time in the book of Psalms, Psalm 130. Beginning at verse 1. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God kept track of all our sins, who could stand before him? Nobody. But, verse 4, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, 
And in his word, I do hope. In his word, I have this confident, joyful expectation that God is going to come through on every promise he made. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning, yeah, more those than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. Isn't God awesome? He's the God of all hope. There's just a few other passages in the Old Testament that I'm just going to go through real quick here. You don't have to turn to them. I want to impress them on your heart tonight, especially if you are burdened, if you're weary and heavy laden, if you're weighted down by the cares and problems or you're struggling with something. I want to share with you, just read them quickly. Psalm 146 verse 5 says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help whose hope is in the Lord is God. Happy is that person. Psalm 147.11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. God takes pleasure. Think about that. God who can speak anything into existence. God who can do anything. God whose power is limitless. God who... Anything He wants. All He's got to do is just... There it is. I, it, really, it's that easy. What could you possibly give him to take pleasure in? The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Proverbs 23.18. I love this one. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Surely there is a hereafter, your hope will not be cut off. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Your hope will not be cut off. You can expect God to come through on that because he said he would. Surely there is a hereafter. And finally, Jeremiah 17, 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Now, of course, as we move into the New Testament again tonight for just a few minutes... In the post-resurrection establishment of Christ's church, there's so much hope. If you were to read, and we, we use this passage a lot, so I'm not going to read it tonight, but Romans 5 verses 1 through 11 is full to overflowing with the wonderful gifts and blessings and happiness that are ours by the grace of God as a result of this hope that we have in the Lord God Almighty. Romans 5, 1 through 11. But that's not the only place. Romans 12 and verse 12 tells us to rejoice in that hope. Rejoice in that certain confident expectation that God will come through because God cannot lie. It says rejoice in that hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. If you want to open your Bibles to Colossians 1, that would be great. And what we're going to see in Colossians chapter 1 here in just a minute, again, talking about that hope, is that that hope realized, understood. Is it possible to hear about that hope and not take advantage of it? Sure. Is it possible to hear about that hope and not understand it? Sure. Is it possible to hear about that hope and not lean on it in your life? Sure. That would not be smart. <laughs> That hope realized, understood, and leaned upon will change your life. That is a life-changing hope. 
that will change everything about, around, and to come out of your life. According to Colossians 1, 3 through 6, look what Paul writes to the Church of Christ there in Colossae and how this hope changed them. He says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Why do they have this love for all the saints? Why all of a sudden were they just so in love with their brethren? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. It changed their lives. It changed their relationships. Of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world. Watch this. And is bringing forth fruit as it is also amongst you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. When you understand and accept the grace of God and you understand that God can be counted on no matter how dark things may seem, no matter how big the storm seems, no matter how much the ship seems to be coming apart under your very feet and the world seems to be caving in. When you come to the point that you have accepted his grace... And you are confident, you have this hope in God that he's going to do what he said he would do. Because of that hope, it'll change your life. It'll bring forth fruit. It'll change the way you treat people. It'll change the way you see your circumstances. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. I want us to note... Also from the book of Titus. If you want to turn there, that's fine. But in this little three-chapter epistle to Titus, the Apostle Paul mentions this confident assurance, this hope in every chapter. Did you know that? Let's look at those real quick. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. There we see it again. Another assurance, another validation, another undergirding of the truth that God cannot lie. He can't. And he promised eternal life. And we have that hope. That confident assurance that he has provided eternal life. In Titus chapter 2, we'll see this hope mentioned again in another beautiful passage beginning at verse 11, Titus 2.11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope. Looking for the blessed hope fulfillment of what God promised and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works finally in Titus chapter 3 we would see this hope mentioned a third time in three short chapters beginning at verse 4 when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the confident, joyous, 
expectation and assurance, the hope of eternal life. That's exciting. That's encouraging. Why these two sermons today? There's a Lord, there's a Lord. No, there's not a Lord. <clears throat> I don't even know what a Lord is. There's a lot of stormy seas encircling some of the saints of God today. There's health problems. There's family problems. Church problems, perhaps. And loss of loved ones that is causing great grief and heartache. And perhaps, at times, even a sense of hopelessness, frustration, and futility for many of God's people. God's people struggling with different aspects of the aging process. Different painful storms that, that all of their human resources just cannot overcome. Maybe that some saints are still pursuing hope in the things of the world. Empty earthly things that cannot save or comfort when the big storms of life hit. And they're going to be totally overwhelmed and unprepared without hope unless they start listening to God and, and abandoning to the depths. All of these human attempts to spend their time pleasing themselves or, or supporting themselves when the inevitable storms of life come crashing into them and crushing down. Folks, when the big ones hit, most of the things that we spend our time pursuing aren't going to matter. Most of the things that we spend time pursuing when the big one hits, when the big storm comes, not going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is how firmly anchored we are to the Lord God Almighty, where our only hope for salvation lies. Everything else might as well throw overboard now. Because if we hang on to it, Instead of Him, we're just going to continue to lose hope. Because those things can't save us. And so in those storms that some of us may be going through, we must not drift away from the truth of, of God's Word, of His hope-promoting and sustaining promises. Because if we do, we're going to shipwreck our faith. Remember Hymenaeus and Alexander? Remember 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 20? Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 says we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. We can't afford to drift away and shipwreck our faith. The reason for this little sermon mini-series entitled Hope Floats based on the shipwreck of Acts 27 is because like the Apostle Paul's desire for the beloved saints in Ephesus, it is my desire as well that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him.
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe that is my hope for you. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 17 through 19. I want you to understand this hope we have. I want you to grab onto the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints. I want you to grab onto the exceeding greatness of God's power in our lives and, and not look so much at the storm but like Paul, even in that storm-tossed sea, relying on his confident, sure, certain, joyful expectation that what God promised, God will deliver. Therefore, 2 Thessalonians 2.15 and 16, Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Hebrews 3.1, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught by God's word. My hope and prayer for us is that we will stand fast and hold the traditions which we are taught by God's word. And now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Again, that is 2 Thessalonians 2, 15 and 16. Life is not hopeless except without God. But with God, we can confidently, certainly, joyfully expect that God will deliver on every single promise He made because that's who He is. The lessons today are yours. Hope truly floats. It is what keeps us afloat in the worst of storms. If you're here tonight and you're not a member of his church, if you have not been saved by the blood and washed by the blood and you need to repent and be baptized into Christ, we'd love to take care of that for you tonight. If you're here and you've just let frustration and hopelessness Mount up. If you're dealing with a storm that is so much bigger than you are and you feel like it is just going to absolutely sink you and you need the prayers of the church that you might more fully realize the hope that we have in God. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to surround you with love and just, just lift you up in your storm. Let us do that in love if we can. If there's anything amongst those things that we can do, will you please come to the front? While we stand and sing, please do not live hopeless. You don't have to. God wants you to be hopeful.